This is an ABC podcast. Okay, this month we've got some cool cyberpunk. I am state-of-the-art. I am not a ninja. A couple of black and white revenge movies. There's no such thing as an invisible man. That's why you're wrong. A zombie outbreak in South Australia. We all get sick. A cool post-apocalyptic lost Australian movie. Welcome, you're on the run. And a really cool serial killer TV movie. True Cult. New releases with Alex Bonniewell. As a quadriplegic, must be frustrating for you. Someone who likes to get things done with their hands. Here's the thing. Four guys murdered my wife. What if I told you I could offer you something that would enable you to walk again? I call it STEM. A computer chip that has the potential to change everything. It's a new, better brain. I am STEM. The system operating your body for you. Can anybody else hear you? No, only you. May I point something out? In the drone surveillance footage. Sir Brantner, Marine Corps, address 414 Citrus, New Ground. We'll need a plan. I got this. This doesn't seem like a well-thought-out plan. I need your permission to operate independently. Permission granted! Thank you. Alex, I only just added this to my watch list on an Australian streaming service and it stars the doppelganger of Tom Hardy. Yes, yes. (laughs) This is is Upgrade from from Mad Men. So you heard a slight synopsis in the trailer. This is is set in the near fully automated future. So you have self-driving cars, touchpad, everything. But there are still a few people around who are happier doing manual stuff, fixing things, shunning the tech, getting their hands dirty, you know, that kind of stuff. Gray Trace is one of these people. He, He restores old muscle cars for rich clients. And even though he shuns all the new tech in the world he lives in, so he kind of tolerates it, his wife fully accepts the world that she lives in. Gray has just finished getting a car ready for a super rich tech client called Enron Keen. And while delivering it, Enron tells him and his wife about this new chip he's developed that will change the world. This chip is called STEM. (laughs) Gray is like, yeah, all right, whatever, another thing. And doesn't really think much of it. And on their way home while riding in his wife's future auto car, which is incredibly similar to the future auto cars in Time Cop, where you've got no windows and it just kind of goes, I shall take you home. You go, thank you very much. And you just sit there. It gets hacked and then crashed quite spectacularly. And they're, they're attacked by kind of muggers, bandits kind of things. They kill the wife and cripple Gray. While he's in hospital feeling a bit sorry for himself, Enron turns up and says, I can help you by using stem. I can implant stem into your spinal column and make you walk again but you have to keep it secret because this is experimental stuff gray kind of goes no 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 oh hold on if i can walk i can get revenge on my wife's killers okay then so he goes for the op gets his upgrade and starts to enact revenge on his wife's killers this is top-notch low-budget cyberpunk this had like a five million dollar um budget it's done by bloomhouse um, produced by Bloomhouse, who did The Purge and Get Out and a load of other really cool movies. It was written and directed by Lee Wanell, who wrote the first three Saw movies. He also did in- Insidious. He directed Insidious 3. So he's kind of well-versed in sort of genre filmmaking. And so and good to see an Australian doing something like this. I mean, this is just 
I mean, you have to see the trailer. There's no doubt about that. If you have if you have no idea what's going on, you do have to see the trailer because the choreo in this, it's just insane. It's intense. It's very, it's very cool. I mean, I mean, he's done the thing that, that directors do when their budget is restrictive is that they have to go, right, we have to be really inventive with the camera work, with the fight choreography, with the settings, with the, the splatter, etc. Make this really engaging for people so they can't kind of look away. They need to follow this because it's really tight this film the trailer makes it look a bit like hardcore henry but it's it's a much much better film than hardcore henry just as inventive i think and i really like the i the ideas behind it i thoroughly enjoyed watching this again it's one of these things where i kind of i'd seen people talking about this because it's got shown at fright fest in the uk which is the premiere kind of horror movie festival in the uk over the august public holiday and I saw lots of my friends talking about Upgrade and, and deliberately didn't read any of their reviews because I didn't want any spoilers for it. And when I saw that, that it was being released, I was like, oh, I, I need to see this film. I've heard so much about it. And it's one of those films that kind of has just kind of snuck out slightly under the radar, but there's loads of really cool word of mouth on it. Yeah, um, I couldn't believe I missed this because it looked like completely the type of film that I would go for yeah. <laughs> and because it's got Tom Hardy's doppelganger, better known as Logan Marshall Green. We should name him. <laughs> yes, we should do. But, yeah, they do look very, very similar. But according to um, Lee Winnell, uh, the director, those really tight fight scenes, they ended up putting a phone on Logan Marshall Green so that the camera could pair to and follow him with as much accuracy as, as possible, which is how he remains in the middle of the frame. How amazing oh, is that? Well, there you go. See, this is what I, like I said, they, they find really cool ways of doing stuff to make it look different and feel different. I really enjoy it when people like Bloomhouse are around because they go right here's your budget no one goes over this budget this is what you've got make your film they have to find ways of making it just super cool and this is great i I'm, I'm, might even watch this again tonight and I'm, i really want to watch it again talking about it but yeah brilliant film not very many extras you get an audio commentary you get an interview with leave one out and you get a little feature called Grey Trace Versus, which I've not seen yet, but I need to get around to watching because I do enjoy the extras. Um, I had a quick look on the Madman website today and the Blu-ray is out of stock, so it must have just, from the Thrown website... Blown off the shelf. Off the shelf. It's, like I said, it's one of those films that has just snuck out and people have seen it and just gone, have you seen this movie? So yeah, if, if you can grab this, do. If you like cool cyberpunk action, a good bit of kind of like martial arty, splattery violence. Yeah, this is right up my alley. I should think it'll be right up more people's alleys than I can think of. They dared to bring him back alive from his haunts deep in the jungles of the Amazon. They dared to put him on display with the other denizens of the deep while thousands came to marvel and wonder. You know, I, I pity him sometimes. He's so alone. The only one of his kind in the world. If anything goes wrong, you head straight for the surface, you understand? All right, let's go. They dared to study him, to probe him, to tempt him with the lure of a woman's beauty, thinking that mere chains could hold in check the primeval forces that surged and roiled within this strange being from the dawn of time. Hey, look, you broke the chain! Yeah, good on you, Helen Dobson, a.k.a. Laurie Nelson. 
feeling sorry for him. You're the first one he takes. (laughs) 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 What's this one from Cinema Cult, Alex? This is Revenge of the Creature, the first of two revenge movies from Cinema Cult this month. And so this is 1955 goodness from director Jack Arnold, who also did Tarantula, which we reviewed last month um he did the original creature from the black lagoon it came from outer space so this is the sequel to the creature from the black lagoon and our intrepid professor clit ferguson played by john agar has captured the gilman and he's brought him back to the u.s for exhibition and to be studied in some sort of sea world attraction they they dump him in this big tank with sharks and turtles and stuff it's quite bizarre but they, they've got him chained to the bottom so he can't escape because he because earlier on in the film, they put him in a kind of holding tank while he wakes up and he gets out and, and, and roars and swipes at people a bit so they don't take any chances and they chain him to the bottom of this tank. We have our alpha male, Professor Cleet Ferguson. And of course, we have the, the beautiful but fainting, screamy scientist, Helen, uh, who is played by Laurie Nelson. And, and she, she, she does as much mansplaining as the men in this movie, it must be said. <laughs> Come uh, on. She's brilliant. Um, there's one point where she's being interviewed by a TV sort of news anchorman who says, I'm here with Professor Helen Dobson, possibly the most beautiful creature I've seen all day. Tell me what you're doing here. Well, I'm an ichthyologist. My word, what is that? Well, it's the study of fish and marine life. And it was like, okay, thanks for that. And they, they, they study the creature. But, of course, he will get out and he will steal Helen and, and go off into the wilderness and try and make her his. Ha, ha, ha. But not without Cleet chasing after them and trying to rescue her, like happens in all black and white horror movies. <laughs> there are some appalling dialogue in this. I was watching this with my oldest daughter, Lilith, who's nearly nine, and I wanted to say to her, if any guy talks to you like this, you tell him to go jump in the sea. Because it's like, <laughs> it's like I fully accept that this is a film of its time, and I kind of watch it with that and, and, and thoroughly enjoy them. But there's one point where they go on a date and they're lying on the beach, and, and Cleet's going, so what do you want to do with your life? Shouldn't you be thinking about children? <laughs> and and uh, our science lady just kind of goes, well, you know, maybe, you know, half my friends are married and got kids and stuff. And she said, I'm not so sure what I need to do. What about you? And he goes, oh, I don't need to worry about that. I'm a man. <laughs> and, and you kind of go, oh, okay. Fair enough. So as this is cinema cult, there are no extras. You just get the movie. But it's a nice transfer on the Blu-ray. looks really nice. If you're a 50s movies, monster movie fan, then you need this. If you're a Creature from the Black Lagoon fan, you need the sequel. The creature still looks amazing. And there are so many references in so many movies now of of the creature um, that it's nice to see where all that comes from. Second movie from Cinema Cult is The Invisible Man's Revenge. I was Uh, surprised to know that there was more than one Invisible Man and that he returned and then he had some revenge and there was a lot going on with The Invisible Man. (laughs) The the original Claude Rains one was 1933 and this is 1944 this was made and this is probably about the fifth Invisible movie. And has very little to do with any of the others. They kind of went, oh, we've got a good gimmick here. We can just keep making movies and people will come and see them. I think this is kind of milking it somewhat, but in really good, great, dumb style. Our main character is a guy called Robert Griffin. He's an escaped murderer who arrives in London in a person-sized container. So the film starts <laughs> off with this guy just kind of dumping this big package with London written on it. And this knife comes out of it and cuts a hole and he steps out. 
Oh, and that's he, the he, only way to travel, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> and then he goes and gets a, a coat from a tailor's. Then we find out that he's in this uh, murderer on the run because he's got the news clipping in his old jacket of wanted murderer escapes from psychiatric ward, kills three orderlies. And it's like. And then posts himself to London. Why why would you do that? Anyway, he's off to find Sir Jasper Herrick, who he says has swindled him out of a fortune from a diamond mine somewhere. Um, So he, he finds the mansion, demands money from him. I presume he gets something slipped in his drink and kicked out of the mansion and told never to darken their doors again, and it's raining. So and he, he finds shelter at the house of Dr. Drury, who is played by John Carradine. I'm so happy I can recognise someone from a 1944 film in movies I have myself. Of course, he's father of David Carradine, who's one of my favourite B-movie actors ever. While he's there, he discovers that the good doctor has turned various animals invisible, including a dog and a parrot. And he says, can you turn a man invisible? And he went, oh, of course, I'll have a go. You know, you could wreak some good revenge on on that Jasper guy if I make you invisible. And he said, exactly. So he makes him invisible. It's very, very silly. What I loved about this is when our guy's invisible, all I could hear was Bruce Campbell being over the top because he, he just acts in a more over-the-top way and it's just pure Bruce Campbell. Um, I know that... Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell and Ted Raimi all made kind of Three Stooges style movies before they did The Evil Dead. So it wouldn't surprise me if if they watched movies like this as well and got some of their acting style from stuff like this. It is very silly, but it's very entertaining. There's lots of things on string and wires and tables being knocked over by people pulling wires off set and stuff like that. I tried watching this with the kids. How did that go? They got distracted by bubbles. Yeah, I'm thinking I might get distracted by (laughs) bubbles too. (laughs) I enjoy this stuff. I mean, I think it was too talky and not enough happening for them. When when our man first takes off his bandages and is invisible, there was like, whoa, from the kids. So I was like, well, okay, the effect is still really cool. And they kept asking me if it was all in black and white. I said, yes, it is. <laughs> no, yes, it it's going to seep into colour at any <laughs> yeah, moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This isn't the Wizard of Oz. This is this is the black and white one. Again, so I love this sort of stuff. I, I grew up watching this kind of things on afternoons when I was sick off school and Sunday evenings whenever they'd have them on BBC Two. So, yeah, this, this brings back fond memories for me of watching this kind of things when I was a kid. And I'm kind of hoping that if I leave these movies lying around, eventually my kids will pick them up and go, oh, I'll give this a go and see what it's like and, <laughs> and see how they do with it. This country changing. Sick. We all get sick. You get sick too. If you are infected, then you've got 48 hours. Stop the car! Let me out! You have to take her. What do you mean? You have to take her. There is a family by the river. I don't know if they're still alive. You don't know anything. You're just a stupid gubber. That wasn't your dad anymore. I would like it if you came with us. i got to find the clever man. If you're sick, he can give you good medicine. It's this way. They're coming. The ghosts. You can't go any further if you don't walk. 
time is there. Every second, there'll be outgoing to make it count. Alex, don't know how this flew under my radar, but it just has everyone in it. Martin Freeman, Susie Porter, uh, David Golpalil, uh, Simone Landers, who, if you've seen Grace Beside Me on NITV or ABC, you'd know her work. Natasha Wanganeen. For me, that's ticking so many boxes. <laughs> I'm going to have to get it. <laughs> uh, this is quite an amazing film. This is Cargo from UmbrellaEnt.com.au. And this is Postgres. How do you make an emotionally centred zombie movie well you give it to directors ben howling and yolanda ramke she also wrote this this is an expansion of their trop fest short from 2013 i think which i saw when that came out i found it on youtube and was like this is an awesome idea and they've expanded on their short and it's just quite incredible movie this is a kind of a, a zombie outbreak movie for people who who know the genre inside out who think, well, how can you make this any different? And it's also a zombie outbreak movie for people who, who wouldn't necessarily want to watch a zombie movie, who'd want to watch a character-based, emotionally charged film where you'll, you'll have so much feeling towards everyone within it. Um, so this is set in the South Australian outback. Uh, Marty Freeman is Andy, and he's travelling the river in a say in a houseboat with his wife, Kay, who's Susie Porter from Underbelly, Hounds of Love, Puberty Blues, Wentworth, and their one-year-old daughter. And the world is a pretty hostile place, as you can imagine. There's been a, an infection that's, that's rife and turns people into bloodthirsty zombies. Um, so if you come across anyone, they're very wary of you. Obviously, they don't know if you've been bit. And as it says in the trailer, if you've been bitten, you've got 48 hours before the virus takes over and you're no longer human. During their travel up the river, they come across a, an abandoned yacht, and Andy goes across and finds loads of supplies and he's pretty happy about that. But he also realizes there's something else in this boat that he doesn't want to find out about. So when he gets back to his boat, he shows all his supplies. He goes, look what I've got. We've got enough here for three months. This is so cool. And tells his wife that there was nothing to worry about. It was all completely safe because he doesn't want to worry her. He goes for a nap. She decides to go over and have another look. Of course she does. And then gets bitten. So they have to decide what they should do on the map they've got it says there's a hospital not too far away and they could get there before things start to go wrong so they make their way to shore and then try and get to the hospital on the way she turns he needs to dispatch her and then work out what he's going to do with his daughter because in the struggle with his wife he's been bitten so he's got 48 hours to sort this out as well i don't think i'll give him much away from the plot you can kind of guess that it's going to go that way when you're watching the movie so he's got to find in the middle of nowhere people to take his daughter and look after her before he can't anymore and in this kind of microcosm of australian life in the outback of south australia he comes across white australians some are cool some are not and indigenous australians who he can't quite work out what's going on with them because their way of life is so foreign to him being an Englishman that he can't quite work out how to interact with anyone or talk to anyone but he can with the white guys even though he knows that the white guy is a bit of a tool but he soon starts to change his mind when he befriends Toomey playing by Simone Landers and she starts to explain to him that they need to find the clever man they need to find 
people that know the old ways and that can help him. So I kind of connected with this really strongly being an English guy in Australia and kind of going, wow, there's a lot of stuff here that I don't know about. And I'd be a bit like, oh, hold on. Who do I trust? Do I trust you? Do I trust you? What would I do? And having kids as well, it's got, that's another connection for me to it. And this is so amazingly executed. I watched this twice. I watched it on my own and with Michelle, my wife, and her mum. And each time I lost it at the end. Last 15 minutes, I'm a complete mess with this movie. It triggered so many emotions in me. And it's so well done. And I, I think I learned a lot about how to make a horror movie or a zombie movie, an apocalypse movie, completely differently and make you connect to it and make you think about Australia as a whole just from watching a zombie film. Well, I think from what I've read, the producers really put a lot of effort into getting the Aboriginal parts correct. And they used John Bell, who is a writer and actor. He wrote Clever Man. He wrote Gods of Wheat Street. He wrote The Warriors. Um, he also wrote parts of Redfern Now. So he's kind of done a lot, but they also did uh, a lot of consultation with the community that they were working near. And my understanding is, is that Simone Landers actually learnt language from the area, from the community as part of this film as well. So there's, um, it, I'm interested to see how that translates across. And I also like a zombie film with a difference. I think, yeah. I think there's just something refreshing about this that would just add to the different sort of zombie films that are out there. But yeah, it's, it's done amazingly well. I mean, it's like you're watching this and you're kind of going, yeah, the, the white folks ain't got a chance. The, the indigenous people, they're, they're going to survive. They know where to go. They know what to do. So it's, it's, like I say, it's cool. As Martin Freeman's character's finding this out, you're kind of going, yeah, yeah, go that way. Find Toomey, stick with her, go that way. There's a, there's a brilliant scene where she's teaching him language. And yeah, it, this is probably one, one of, uh, along with Upgrade, this is one of my favourite films of the year, without, without a doubt. You get, so, yeah, I was going to ask, are there any extras? Yep, you get um, a couple of featurettes. You get Cargo, Shaping a Fragile Future, Cargo, Maternal Combat. You've got interviews with cast and crew, Q&A at the 2018 Melbourne showing. Uh, you get the Tropfest short, the original, and the theatrical trailer. So there's a heap of extras on there that are well worth exploring. I've, I've watched a couple of them, and I've got to go back and, and finish it up. But, yeah, I was mightily impressed with Cargo. Somebody's coming from the desert. It could be a demon, quick! Name's Felix. Home tree. This is Benny. You're evil! You're gonna burn it! Come on, come on, come on, go! Come on, that's it, that's it, go! Go! This is Spirits of the Air, Gremlins of the Clouds, and I'd never heard of this. This is I've never seen it. I watched no. the trailer going, whoa. <laughs> so this is a new restored print of this. This is the first feature, feature from Alex Proyas, better known for The Crow, Dark City, Garage Days, iRobot. And it's a bit of an odd one, which I kind of like. So you have this brother and sister Felix, played by Michael Lake, who was in Dark City and Garage Days, and Betty, who is played by Melissa Davis, who was in the Australian 
exploitation movie Dead End Driving, and they live in the middle of the post-apocalyptic desert. Um, he's wheelchair-bound, and she's a religious fanatic. The house is festooned with Christian iconography and crucifixes, and they're alone until one day this stranger arrives and their lives change somewhat because there's a new dynamic within their house. Felix has always wanted to try and fly and get beyond the mountain range because that's where he thinks a utopia lies. So he starts to get the, the stranger to help him build a flying machine so they can escape their solitary lives. While this is happening, Betty can only see the devil in the stranger and is doing her best to try and get him to leave. There's some pretty strong influences at work here. One to my eye was Algerado Jordowski, who did El Topo and The Holy Mountain. His films are always full of like religious iconography and brilliantly shot etc as this is and the other influences being kind of the post-punk goth aesthetic which would serve the director really well when he made the crow and dark city and garage days this film looks amazing and it's kind of my kind of weird you've no idea what's happened before and why there's no one around you don't know what's really happened to felix and betty or the strangers just that at some point all their lives have collided and this is the result of it it's not weird in a pretentious way. It's just weird in just an odd, beautiful way. I was really surprised. This is also number five in the um, Umbrellas Beyond Genres collection. So superbly presented, beautiful artwork on the slipcase and full of extras, which I've got to go back and, and watch. So you get audio commentaries with the director, audio commentary with the composer, Peter Miller, and the editor, Craig Wood. Interview with cast member Michael Lake, interview with cast member Reese Davis, Spirits, the making of a post-apocalypse Western featuresque, Spirit Song, which is a music video and an image gallery. I really enjoy watching directors I know and films I've got by them. I like watching their debut feature. I always thought that Alex Price, I always thought his debut feature was The Crow. But obviously not. No, um, but, no. But and it's interesting because I've read um, some reviews about this film and people go, it's art, it's my favourite film, I absolutely love it, everyone should see it, and then go on, he's a great director, bar the crow. And I'm like, ah. oh, The Crow is fantastic. The Crow is a cult film. Like it is yeah. in the midst of crossing over. And there will be people searching that film out in decades to come, I think. And yeah. I loved The Crow, and I don't have to tell you that because we both love no. The Crow. <laughs> Big Crow fans here. Your final film from Umbrella has me a bit unnerved because Brian Dennehy is like a clown or something on the front cover, and it's creepy as. So this is from 1992, and this is a two-part TV movie called to catch a killer about the final days of the original killer clown john wayne gacy brian dennehy plays gacy and is excellent he, he can turn on the malice and threat in an instant michael riley is the stubborn cop lieutenant joe kozenzak who is convinced gacy has killed a local teen up until this point john wayne gacy is a respected pillar of the community he does lots of work for charity he's got a successful construction business he's well known by the world to do and the the influential in the society but our, our good lieutenant joe is convinced that he's he's not the guy he makes himself out to be he just needs proof um margot kidder is also quite highly billed on this even though she's only in the film for about five minutes and i won't tell you what character she plays because that'd be a bit of a spoiler, a spoiler. It's just really, mm. yeah it's pretty cool when she crops up um she doesn't crop up till the second part um and you kind of go oh there's margot kidder 
cool. And you have Meg Foster as uh, Attorney Carlson. I sat down to watch this and I <laughs> I didn't realise it was a two-parter. So I got to the end of, watched it for an hour and a half and it went, to be continued. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? Hold on. So I had to find the title screen and watch part two. So you got three hours of the last week and a bit of John Wayne Gacy's freedom. Excellently done. Really, really cool. Um, there was some cool stuff made for American TV around this time with, with some pretty major stars. You kind of got the impression that at the time that people like Brian Dennehy and, and Margot Kidder and Meg Foster were kind of doing TV movies because they weren't offered cinema stuff. And it was kind of a bit kind of a step down for them to do this sort of thing. But really, it's not. These are really well-crafted kind of movies. And well, how the times great. have changed, haven't they? Because yeah. doing TV now and the type of TV that's being made has come full circle. And you've got oh, a lot of film actors going across to TV, which never used to happen so much. No, no, you'd, say you'd only get it when you kind of felt that you couldn't get those parts anymore when you're being overlooked by the big movies and stuff. And then someone will come along and say, look, we've got this thing coming. You know, it's X amount of work. You get paid this much. It'll be really cool. And they you kind of go, yeah, all right, I'll do it. And they, they produce some really good stuff. No real extras on this. You get a promotional trailer. But this is a really cool cop drama. It's a really good serial killer movie. Now, Alex... October for us is our favourite time of year. And with Halloween just around the corner, what are your top 13 go-to Halloween films? Right. Evil Dead 1, 2 and 3 in that order. Preferably in one night, if you can. Probably one of my favourite franchise of all time, the Evil Dead 1. Always like a good anthology as well around this time of year. So I'd go for Creep Show for some classic Romero, Stephen King action. And a more updated Trick or Treat which has got, I think it's four really cool short stories based around Halloween. Need a zombie film, so I shall go back to my favourite punk rock zombie movie, Return of the Living Dead. Need some kind of high school kind of shenanigans, so it has to be Carrie, I think, for that. Some good, good monster movie set in really cramped, dark places, so I'm going to get a pump for The Descent. Some Halloween-based movies. Um, recently got hold of Murder Party, which is the first film from the guy who did Blue Ruin and green room so it was really cool to get hold of that and see where he came from and thoroughly enjoyed it and again all based around halloween newest uk movie prevenge which really loved about uh, a pregnant woman whose unborn fetus is talking to her and telling her to kill people pumpkin head because of lance henriksen more of him next month the mist for a cool update of the 1950s monster movies and recent 80s throwback the void for some just complete kind of Lovecraftian oddness. This is Rihanna Patrick on ABC Radio. 